Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the Packaging Brothers podcast. My name is Brandon. Thank you so much for joining us today. I am really excited to introduce our guest, Jonathan Quinn. We just had a great conversation about sustainability. He uh, works for a company called Pregis, and one of the products that they specialize in is flexible packaging film. And so we really got into kind of the nitty gritty and the details on the sustainability of that material and uh, the complexity of plastics in general. So I think there's a lot of really good information in this one. Hope you enjoy it. Here we go. Hey, Jonathan, welcome to the Packaging Brothers podcast. I'm really excited to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think we connected on LinkedIn a while ago and was really impressed with uh, just the content you were kind of putting out there. So I'm really glad that you agreed to do this episode. Yeah, I'm excited. And, and I think whenever there's a packaging podcast, I secretly have uh, FOMO uh, about everybody else that's on it. So for me, I'm excited to be here. I also noticed that you are also a third generation packaging guy. I am. There's not many of us out there. No, there isn't. There isn't. <laughs> and uh, I, the name of the podcast being the Packaging Brothers, I always I joked with my brother who's in the packaging industry as well, and that we should start a podcast. And uh, he was not as supportive. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I, I definitely think you got, you got a good one there. Well, Nolan is awesome. We have the way that we kind of, you know, divide it up for us is he takes care of a lot of the back end marketing support kind of things. And I'm mm-hmm. mostly on the microphone, but um, <laughs> it's different for everybody though, you know? Yeah. So Jonathan, I would love to hear kind of how you, like what your story is basically, how you got into packaging. Uh, sounds like there's some family stuff that, you know, kind of got you into it early on. And um, yeah, where did, where did your packaging journey start? Yeah. So, I mean, it's a story my wife has heard probably many, many times. And my brother kind of rolls his eyes when I tell the story because he wasn't around when when my packaging journey started. But I grew up around the flexible packaging industry. My dad was a, a president and CEO of a couple of different packaging companies growing up. And so I have pictures of me in a box of resin when I was two. I was in the lab doing elongation testing when I was five because that was was the cool thing to do, or, or at least I thought it was. But I really got interested in packaging because of going to the grocery store with my dad. Uh, no trip to the grocery store was a short one. No trip to the grocery store was an experience where it wasn't every aisle inspecting different packages. And Wait, 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 wait. You would go with your dad to the grocery store and look for like packaging mistakes or blunders or something that was going wrong too? Uh, yeah, it wasn't always looking for the blunders, but that was definitely uh, definitely part of it. But yeah, so it sounds like you were... That's hilarious. It sounds like you went down that same uh, rabbit hole. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, in, in fact, that was one of the reasons I learned a lot about packaging early on is he he would point out the things to look for that were potentially going wrong. Mm-hmm. So on bottles, it was paneling, if, you know, your print issues, you know, obviously if something was leaking on the shelf, then it was like, all right, we really got to call these guys, you know, try to help them out. Yeah. Yeah. My dad was, uh, he particularly had a, a heavy focus on, on diaper bags. Mm. And so that was really a transformation that took place in the grocery store aisles. And so we spent a lot of time looking at diaper bag printing, 
a number of different things, but no trip to the grocery store was ever one that was a short one. We were never, me and him going to the grocery store was probably not something that was regularly allowed. And now today, I mean, I still, I wait, I long for the day, then hopefully my kids are going to ask, why, what are we doing in the grocery store for so long, dad? And I can tell them why we're in the grocery store. So I, I think your kids are younger. Yeah. So I have a two-year-old son and a, and a four-year-old daughter. So they're still, they're getting close. They're getting close. They don't know all the excitement that they have in store. So for a lot of young kids that grew up with packaging professional parents, they wanted to do, they wanted to have nothing to do with packaging. Yeah. Was that the way it was for you too? Or did you come back to it or were you just always in it? No, I was, I was always in it. And one of the top parts of that, that previous story that I kind of skipped over was that my grandfather was a press operator. And then my dad went a little bit of a different path, but I went to visit my dad and he was at one of the, the plants in South Carolina and I was in eighth grade and he said, well, let's go, let's go look at Clemson because Clemson has a, a packaging program. Mm-hmm. And uh, we went to Clemson and I remember walking down the steps from the visitor center and seeing the campus and going, all right, dad, it's over this is what I want. This is where I want to be. This is what I want to do. And never kind of got away from being studying packaging. And and the goal of mine was always to hopefully one day work in a, in a quarter office next to my dad, but I was hooked from the beginning. Yeah. is really what it comes down to. Well, that's great. What's the company that you currently work for now? I currently work for Pregis as the the director of market development and sustainability. That's great. And you were with Nova Chemicals before that, right? Correct. Correct. In a, in a few different, uh, few different roles, um, all really focused on the the marketing side of things. Yeah, I think it was there that you were recognized for a few different like honors or awards, right? For like top packaging people and. Yeah. So I uh, 2018. <laughs> 2018, I won uh, Plastics News Rising Star Award. And then 2019, I won the Canadian Plastics Association Young Leader of the Year. And then I think 2021, I won Plastics News Social Media Influencer. And then uh, I just won at Pregis, was awarded Waste 360s, top 40, under 40 within waste recycling and, and kind of the, the sustainability conversation. Well, congratulations. Those are, that's a lot. Yeah, but I appreciate all those and they all mean a lot. But what I say is it doesn't matter what you did at the front end. It's the, it's the culmination of what you do over the course. So I say my ultimate goal is to be in some form of a packaging hall of fame one day. That'll be the, that'll be the day. If I can kind of backtrack a little bit, mm-hmm. you said that you were into packaging basically from the very beginning. What was it about packaging or the type of formats that you were working with that really grabbed your attention? So for me, I've been really focused on on flexible packaging. Um, and I don't know if I can necessarily pinpoint it to one thing or or another um, that really made me want to to be a part of it. I think the company at which my dad was was president of early in early on in, in my life, um, and it was earlier in his career because he was only 34 when he first became president of that company. 
um, but he had a really young group of, of people that he became really close with. And, and there was people that were obviously older than him, but that core group of people, they stayed close and in touch and for a real long time. And I think me getting exposed to those people and seeing some really special and meeting some, some other people that my dad partnered with gave me a perspective of how good of a group of people there are within the flexible packaging industry. And interesting part of this is now a guy who worked for my dad for a while and somebody that I've known since I was four, he's the, the president of Pregis Europe. So I get a chance to work with that same person who worked for my dad, which is pretty cool. But I think I've given you a little bit of a long-winded response to your question, but it at the end of the day, it was the people that that had me excited, and it's the people that have kept me here. That's awesome. That's great. Uh, same, same, same for me. I know you deal a lot with packaging and the sustainability of packaging, mm-hmm. and I think you and I are both pretty aware that the flexible packaging world gets a fair amount of flack. Mm-hmm. I'd like to just kind of get your definition of what kind of sustainability means to you um, as it relates to packaging and maybe specifically flexible packaging? Yeah. So when it comes to the the overarching sustainability conversation, and and I probably can get, could get tagged as the, the plastic loyalist, but I went to school for packaging. And ultimately, at the end of the day, every material, every package format, every package structure, all of those were selected for scientific and factual-based reasoning. And if you're going to change a material or eliminate a material, you really need to understand the ramifications and the implications of doing so. And because plastic has be- become an easy target in so many ways, because it, it's easy to, to pick on one material versus the next. And there hasn't been a total scientific supportive reasoning behind it. And that's where I think that there's an opportunity really for consumers to begin to understand positive impacts that that plastic has on their everyday life. Because for the last however many years, it's really been the focus and the focal point of any kind of anti-material conversation. But when you look at, and, and I've done a lot of consumer research, looking at the mind of the consumer and, and how they view different materials. And the consumer really looks at glass and metal and paper for its quote unquote recyclability. But when they look at plastic, they look at plastic for its convenience and ease of use. If you look back at years and years behind us, it was because previous generations had exposure to glass, metal, and paper. Plastic hasn't been around the block for that long, really. And so it hasn't become necessarily ingrained in people's head about that value of why plastic is is so valuable and why it is a sustainable option. So that's really how I look at it. But ultimately, at the end of the day, there's not one material that's going to solve the sustainability conversation. Yeah. It's not a glass only. 
It's not a metal only. It's not a paper only. And it's not a plastic only. It's a and, and, and. But ultimately, being able to work collaboratively towards eliminating overpackaging and eliminating excessive packaging. Because I will say very clearly, there is applications today that plastic is being used in excess. But there's also applications today where paper is being used in excess. Those are all things that we need to focus on and pay attention to. So would it be fair that when you're talking about sustainability, you're talking about the reduction or the limiting of materials that are being used? Is that kind of one of the one of the sustainability pillars that you would Yeah. Yeah. And and the way that that we within the the Pregis is flexible business look at sustainability is really around recyclable and recycle content and then renewable. So using renewable sources of of feedstock of of material. So that's where my kind of focus is and, and where my mind goes, which all boils up to your the point you just made in regards to uh reduction of of overpackaging. Yeah. I mean certainly a lot of conversation about you know, what should be called recyclable and what's not recyclable. Mm-hmm. And one one kind of um, statement that I've kind of heard a lot recently is that, you know, we often use the word recyclable to kind of describe if it's possible to recycle something. Like if it's physically possible to recycle something, then it should be called recyclable. But when consumers talk about recyclability, they think that if I put it into my curbside pickup, that it's actually going to be recycled. Yeah. And so when you're talking about the recyclability of flexible films, are you talking about just the material itself? Or are you talking about the entire waste stream that's going to collect it, process it, resell it, and then get remanufactured into something? Yeah. I mean, I think ultimately when it comes to the the recyclability conversation, I'm not a fan of the conversation about recycle ready because what does that tell the consumer? It's ready to be recycled, but it can't be recycled. I think we need to create opportunities for flexible materials to be collected and and recycled. And we need to do that in a way that's going to be just as convenient as traditional recycling is for all other materials. And that is aligning with curbside recycling. But ultimately we've got to get to that point and we're not from a flexible material standpoint today. Yeah. And there's a significant, significant amount of flexible packaging as it exists today, that if it was collected, it could be recycled. I mean, traditionally Pregis is, is known as a protective packaging supplier. So we make air pillows, we make cushioning materials, we make, foam, polyethylene foam. We make mailers, both paper and plastic. So a number of different materials, all of which the consumer gets and the consumer could recycle, but they don't necessarily take all those materials and drop them off at the grocery store, which is where they they should be able to recycle or should be recycling today. But in addition to that, there's there's other materials which we make for, say, for overwrap films for toilet paper or paper towels, all of those, those could be and should be recycled, but the consumer 
doesn't realize it and doesn't know it. Yeah. So that's where it's, I think some of the, the bad rap that we were talking about earlier, some of that comes from exactly that, the misunderstanding. And really, that's the all-encompassing of what the sustainability conversation really comes to is we've got to do a better job of educating the consumer and enabling them to be successful. Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, and you know, I think that the traditional historic kind of plastics industry doesn't want the consumer to know how little plastic is actually being recycled in the US and you know, I, and I and I think as the consumers become more aware of the problem there then their focus on buying packaging that quote unquote is more sustainable from an end of life standpoint is going to kind of encourage what you brought up to be your second point, which is the increased need for recycled content and trying to make plastic or make aluminum or glass or whatever type of packaging format with as much recycled content as possible. Yeah. And then that'll encourage the collection, the processing of, of the current virgin, you know, packaging that's out there. Well, I think the plastics industry does want the consumer to know, does want the consumer to have awareness and recognition of the value of the material for what it what it provides. But I think when you talk about some of like when we talk about some of the longer term deliverables, as far as delivering on the topic of advanced recycling, we've got to take the consumer on this journey and we can't cut out one piece of the process, meaning we have to go from recyclable and enabling them to actually recycle that flexible material and get them to actually understand what mechanical recycling means. And then down the path of advanced recycling and and chemical recycling, because there's going to be a different bin that's required. There's some misunderstandings when it comes to advanced recycling, as far as the overall, that it's just, you could throw whatever you want into a bin and poof, out comes a pyrolysis oil. And that's not really how it works there still has to be separation and segregation of materials and and things like that. And why I say that is that in regards to the consumer along for the ride is they have to understand why those bins are important. They have to understand where those materials are going and coming into. And and that's a big challenge. It's not something that's just going to happen overnight. No, I think that I like the way that you said that it was just had to deal with the kind of the oversimplification or consumers really understanding the benefits that plastics can, that are bringing to our modern day society today. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think often we like to simplify things into, or sim- simplify, simplify. I just made up a word in there. Yeah. Uh, how to simplify, you know, packaging materials into either good or bad, Yeah. you know, or better or worse or whatever. And it's actually way more complex than that. Yeah. No, and, and there's there's a there's some data that points to like in trying to make some make these numbers simple for the consumer. So one of the data points is that if you were to replace 10 million pounds of flexible plastic material or flexible plastic packaging, it would take 40 million pounds of the alternative. And when you look at the total life cycle impact of all of that, as far as the weight, just the sheer weight and just transporting materials and products to 
just to the consumer before they even gets in their hands, like that is a tremendous impact. And it's, I think, a, a good data point or number for to share with consumers because it comes becomes very real. Yeah, no, I think. Uh, and then I'd be curious to see if you kind of know what any specific numbers are here, but you know, when the sustainable goal is to reduce carbon emissions and prevent climate change, you know, the benefit of plastics, um, especially from other kind of renewable sources, potentially, or, you know, recycled content. Um, my understanding is that the carbon impact for using recycled materials is less than virgin plastic materials, but when compared plastic, when compared to glass or aluminum, which has a very high intensive carbon output, you know, plastic is is by far the more sustainable option when just looking at climate change as the as the primary goal. Yeah, I mean, there's a number of different number of different numbers that I could <laughs> rattle off, but I think the overarching sustainability story that plastic has to tell is incredibly impactful. I mean, People assume that the reusable grocery store bags are better than the traditional grocery store bags. And that's fine if you reuse that grocery store, that reusable bag, excess of 140 times. 140 times. Yeah, not many. Is that the, is that the break-even point? That's the break-even point, exactly. That's exactly it. Wow. And when you think about how many times, I mean, like I said earlier, I have young kids and for, I mean, bags from the grocery store serve multiple purposes. They don't just end up going into to no man's land. They're either used for diapers or dog. So there's multiple uses there, but that may be, uh, may be a bad joke, but it's not a joke. It's just real life. Well, I think, you know, clearly there is a packaging waste, a plastic packaging waste problem. Yeah. I mean, the fact that almost all of these plastic bags, that a lot of the flexible packaging is not captured and not recycled is a, is a huge problem, right? Yeah. Yeah. I could not, could not agree with you more on that fact. And ultimately, I mean, I've talked about this before in that we have to stop sending high value flexible packaging to the landfill. And the reason being is to the previous point where we talked about incorporation of recycled content and things of that nature, really, you can't expect to take a minivan and turn it into a Ferrari. And the analogy that I'm making there is you can't take low-end plastic packaging that is being not necessarily sent to landfill, but is being used or being recycled in other applications and expect to turn that into high value flexible packaging is really what I'm trying to say there. But the point is, is that we've got to create opportunities and we've got to enable that convenience conversation around recyclability. And the ideas that I've talked about is, I mean, the end of the day, our society is moving more and more towards e-commerce and more and more away from the grocery store, which the grocery store as it stands today is that primary drop-off location for flexible materials. So if you think about it this way, in 2019, 
the average household in the US had 150 home parcel deliveries. In 2022, call it probably around 200 home parcel deliveries per household. That's 200 opportunities to pick up those flexible materials that a household has. That's 200 opportunities to pick up, whether it's mailers, bubble, whatever you want to call it, and help get those materials back and then drive towards more convenient and enabling recycling. Because all those vehicles that are picking up or all those vehicles that are dropping off are going back empty. So those are some of the things that the ideas get, call it get creative that has to happen, but we've got to realize that we've got to, we're on this journey with the consumer. We have to listen to the consumer. We have to go and meet them where they are and enable their lives to be more convenient. Yeah. Who do you think is going to be, should be responsible or needs to be responsible in order to have this change occur? It's a good question. And just to make sure you're you're referring to who should be responsible for as far as the collection is concerned or who should be responsible for the plastic waste issue. Is there one, one or the other? I think they're connected, but yeah, I think overall, you know, the problem of, you know, pla- flexible plastic packaging not being collected and recycled for the vast majority of U.S. homes. We'll just keep narrow it down to the US. Yeah. Who's going to be the ones to kind of invest or to create a system? Is it, yeah, just kind of curious from your perspective on whose responsibility that that should be. So I'll go to it this way. If in my opinion, we've got to go to, got to be the responsibility of the consumer. Uh, And the way that I would put it is, I mean, now, or when I have kids that are old enough to pick up their rooms, am I going to be able to charge Old Navy or Gap for having to clean up their clothes? Am I going to be able to, because I have to pick up their clothes on the, the ground that somebody else should pay for it? I think we've got to enable the consumer to be successful and we've got to give them all the the, the guidance and ease of access to recycling, but I don't know if necessarily making it harder to sell products or forcing companies to increase the price of those products because they need to cover or pay for an additional tax. And there's some virgin resin taxes and things like that, which it's not going to make the life of the consumer any easier. And that's ultimately what I think is we've got to enable convenience of the consumer and enable them to be successful. But who's going to be the, is it government? Is it plastic manufacturers? Is it through taxation? Is it through penalties? I mean, you know, I think like I hear a lot of packaging professionals say we need to do this. And I'm just curious when you say we need to do this, who, who is it? <laughs> yeah. So I think, Number one, there's a lot of policy conversation. There's a lot of ease of for politicians to say it's really easy to say ban plastic or ban a material, but understanding those ramifications. But I think really we as an industry need to come at this 
collaboratively. And it's not a plastics issue. It's not a paper issue. It's not a glass issue. It's a packaging related issue. And we need to, to come together on, on that very topic. And banning materials is not the answer, but maybe creating is the wrong way to phrase it, but implementing taxes for materials that aren't returned versus taxing everything and every package or whatever it may be, because that I don't think is going to solve the problem. Problem is of is materials entering the environment. It's paper or plastic or whatever being littered. So it's about making sure that all materials find their way to the right bin and the really drive towards a, a circular economy. Hopefully that answered your question. I think the solution is pretty complex. Yeah. I mean, it's basically reinventing or refortifying the entire supply chain value chain of plastic manufacturing, plastic distribution, plastic collecting, plastic processing. I mean, it's the entire step. And, you know, luckily I know that, you know, large corporations around the world are are trying to improve their sustainability footprint. Investors are looking for companies that are being more proactive about, you know, solving a lot of these problems that I think we're talking about in, in regards to plastic waste. Mm-hmm. And I think the whole new crop of students that are graduating looking for jobs are also looking to be employed by companies that have kind of more of this ethos of, you know, I'm going to, you know, the company is going to take responsibility and going to move things a little bit, you know, closer to where, you know, to where they should be. And overall, I think is all these different corporations and state legislation laws, you know, potentially an increase in taxes. I mean, all of it is going to get to the point to where we are collecting plastic at a much higher rate. Yeah. It is being processed either through a machine manual process or through a molecular recycled. And so, so there will be an increase in circularity, I think, in flexible packaging, hopefully in the near future. I mean, sooner would be better than later, right? <laughs> yeah. I think you couldn't walk through a, a trade show conference in packaging today without seeing any one booth without sustainability prominently uh, promoted. And I think. Ultimately, it's the past, call it 10 years, has really been that focus on sustainability has really pushed, I think, the industry a whole lot further. And I think one of the big things, and you talked about like the overall plastics industry, so call it the virgin resin suppliers, maybe years and years ago, it could have been a situation of it being not my problem because we're just making the resin, it's, it's not our problem, to now they've all stepped up and said, no, it is our problem, and we have to, to tackle this. And I think it comes down to, to this, is that anybody that walks into a room and says that they have all the answers to the sustainability conversation, you know that that's not factually true that the only way we're going to continue to advance the sustainability and circular economy conversation is through collaboration. It is really, at the end of the day, what will help to advance the, the, the conversation and what needs to be done in order to make sure that the environment 
in which we live and which are the plants in which we operate. And those are all as pristine and as perfect as they possibly can be. Yeah. I have a friend in the food packaging industry and there was this kind of viral clip that went around. I think it was LinkedIn. It might've been on some other platforms too, but it was about the plastic wrapped banana. Yeah. Did you see that? What were your thoughts on that? In regards to the... uh... I think the headline comment was like, you know, how stupid is this? Why are we wrapping bananas? Like what a horrible waste of, you know, like it was just all negative. And then the, you know, my friend, the food packaging expert does a lot with this stuff, Mm -hmm. educated me a little bit on it. And I was curious if you, if you had any thoughts on it too. Well, it's whether it's bananas or whether it's France that just recently banned uh, single-use plastic for uh, for the produce aisle, I believe. I mean, there's back to that science and fact-based reasoning as to why you can take a cucumber from three days of shelf life to excess of nearly, probably, I, I believe it's around 14 days of shelf life. Yep. By just using a barrier film. Yeah where consumer doesn't understand all the value that 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 thin piece of film provides whether it's for a banana or whether it's for cucumber or or, or whatever it, it wouldn't be possible without that but just because the consumer sees plastic thinks oh plastic is bad well then it becomes a big waste but if you understood the true implications there is the food waste that's generated by eliminating that plastic is far worse for the environment. And from that greenhouse gas emissions that that we've talked about a little bit, that is the significant thing that gets overlooked. Yeah. That little micro moment, you know, with that specific item was, I think, a great opportunity Mm -hmm. to kind of say, hey, I know how this looks, but... this is why we're doing it. This is the benefit that it's bringing our society. This is the reduction in carbon emissions. This is how many more people in the world we could feed if we did this at a, even a higher scale uh, to lower, you know, starvation rates, you know, throughout the world as well. I mean, there's just, it's a really complex topic. Yeah. I mean, the, the food waste conversation is incredibly complex and material selection. And the big thing when it comes to food waste is with inside North America and most developed countries, the food waste always happens. Significant majority is always happening on the, the back half of production and packaging and manufacturing. So it's the food waste is being driven by the consumer. In developing countries, it's the reverse. All of that food waste happens before it reaches the consumer. And so that is about their packaging and their manufacturing are not at the equivalent levels. And so there's a lot of waste that happens. And because they're not leveraging packaging like you talked about in regards to those bananas, I mean, those types of examples and really how many more people could you feed if you had in those developing countries, could you feed because of packaging is really one thing to think about and look at. Well, that was great. Anything else on kind of the sustainability front before we kind of move on? No, 
I don't think so. Just I would ask everybody that is listening to make sure that they understand the value of the material in which that everyday package that they interact with is and and really know that the plastics and, and flexible packaging industry is not ignoring the uh, the challenges that are out there and that we're putting time, energy, and money forward to make sure that plastic is not ending up in the environment. Great. How is Pregis to work for, you know, we, you talked a little bit about the offering that they have over there. Yeah. I um, was kind of curious if you had anything else to share about, about them as a company and what they're trying to accomplish. Yeah. I mean, I would tell you that Pregis is an incredibly exciting company to work for. We've got so many different, I mean, Pregis is material neutral from the standpoint that we have, we have a plastic offering and, and we have also a paper offering. So not only do we make flexible plastic mailers, but we also make paper mailers as well. And we do a lot in regards to overall flexible packaging, whether that's a stand-up pouch or, or whatever, in addition to the, the foam, polyethylene foam that I was referring to. So from a packaging geek perspective, it's, it's awesome. But it's awesome to be a part of knowing that every day, the products in which we we manufacture, the everyday consumer is, is having regular interaction with those. And it's incredibly exciting for me to, to be a part of Pregis because one thing that I didn't, didn't mention earlier, I actually interned, I did my co-op for Pregis. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I worked for Pregis in England uh, while I was at Clemson. So kind of come full circle for me. And I, I think that's part of the, the real excitement for me is to to be a part of that but there's no lack of innovative and creative people i mean we don't just have packaging materials but we also have equipment whether it's bagging or inflating or whatever it may be so there's just so much uh to do and and it's exciting to know all the impact that that Pregis is having but it really we're doing it in a in a sustainable an innovative way. Great. Well, Jonathan, I think I might be attending the plastics recycling conference. Oh, perfect. So hopefully we can get together there, share a coffee or a drink or something. That'd be great. Yes, I will. I will be there. So please, yes, please do let me know if, if you're going to be there. That'd be fantastic. Great. And thank you again for being on our show here. No, thank you very much for having me and keep up the great work. Oh, thanks a lot. We'll try. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to the Packaging Brothers podcast and a special thanks to Jonathan for being our guest. If you have any thoughts or suggestions or whatever on this episode, please comment, share. I uh, would love to hear from you. Until next time, take good care. Bye now. Bye.